Welcome to the Christ Connection Podcast. We are here to help and encourage you to enjoy your adventure with Jesus. I'm your host, Kevin Senapati-Ratna. Let the journey begin. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Christ Connection Podcast. We've been talking a lot about going on an adventure with Jesus. As part of that process, you're going to have to work with other people, whether you like it or not, I guess. Uh, Learning to work and collaborate with others can make all the difference between success and failure in the mission that God has for you, whether that be in the large company you work for or uh, working with your kids or anywhere in between those spectrums there. uh, You need to be able to uh, work together collaborate, things like that. As uh, John Maxwell says, one is too small a number to achieve greatness. So if you're going to accomplish something for God, you need other people in that process. And as we like to say around um, my house, uh, teamwork makes the dream work. So that's our John Maxwell quote. But my guest today is going to help you work with others, uh, whether you're whatever the context is that you're working in. Tim Sanders is the executive director of Inspire Possible, a nonprofit working to bring together schools, businesses, the faith community, uh, kind of any setting together to make a difference. Uh, Before that, he served for eight years in the Minnesota House of Representatives. If there's ever a context uh, where uh, you need to learn to work together, that'd be the nonprofit world and in the political world, and he's worked in both. And so he gives us some great advice that we can use in our practical everyday life on how to work with others and accomplish the mission that God has for us. Uh, And I think you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, my conversation with Tim Sanders. All right, Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, fun to uh, talk to you on the show with uh, my house. It's the Tim Sanders. That is, <laughs> well, That's my daughter. Too generous. My 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 daughter called you that anyways. The <laughs> Tim. Um, we're here to kind of start off. We're in Inspire Possible headquarters, right? That's right. That's <laughs> right. The the, the HQ. Uh, oh, just for those who are not familiar, right off the bat, let's say what is Inspire Possible? Since you're the executive director. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So Inspire Possible is a 501c3 nonprofit. And really, our, our mission is to build community and build partnerships in the community through virtue and collaboration. And so what that means is um, across, across industries, across sectors, right? People and businesses and organizations have different values, which is great, and that's fine. And we can celebrate that. <clears throat> but sometimes when you approach problems or are trying to work towards solutions collaboratively, when you have a different value basis, um, you can run into problems and that can build up walls. What we've decided to do is approach organizations and say, listen, for the most part, everyone can agree universally on virtue. Um, And we can agree on these virtues that everyone should be loved and treated with dignity, served, honored, and so, when we do that, we can work with almost any organization if they believe those things. So it doesn't matter where, where those values are based, where they come from necessarily when you're dealing strictly with a nonprofit, but saying, hey, we can work with these other people in the faith community. We can work with government. We can work with school districts. We can work with other businesses. We can work with other nonprofits 
when we say like, hey, let's work out a virtue, let's agree that every child, every person should be treated with dignity, honor, respect, loved, served, honored. Um, we can work together when we do that. And that opens the door to collaboration. And collaboration is important because if we truly want to have impact, if we truly want to put a dent in the needs that our communities face um, here in the Twin Cities and all across the country, there's, there is no one entity that can solve those problems. It will take collaboration. So our job is to kind of bring the community together to, to serve people, treat them with, with virtue, and bring as many people on board as we can to, to make a positive impact. So uh, just from the timeline, how long has Inspire Possible been in existence? It's still pretty new. but Correct. So Inspire Possible, actually I think last June is when we officially got word from the IRS that we were a recognized 501c3, <laughs> which takes a long time. Yes. yes um, <laughs> and we went through a, a pretty rigorous process to set that up. We wanted the we wanted everything done correctly and done correctly the first time. And so Inspire Possible has been around about a year, year and a half. Uh, recognized Secretary of State, but really officially got our non uh, our nonprofit recognized status from the IRS last June. And uh, just again to give people kind of a, some color to that, then uh, what are some of the early things that you guys have been doing? Like uh, some of the projects I know you've uh, had some with the school district and things like that. What are, is there a couple examples of wins that you've had? Sure. So our approach as a nonprofit was we don't want to be the do-good bully. Uh, we didn't want to walk in to the community, to other places and say, we're here to help and here's how we're going to help you. <laughs> so we took a very strategic data-driven approach. We hired um, an excellent firm uh, to come in and help us do research in the community and to ask questions. What does the community need? What does the community want? And how can we help? And then we did a lot of face-to-face -face interviews and, and asked city leaders and community leaders, what can we do to help? And so through all of that, we really saw a theme coming together and that our community, and I think um, as, as one of my mentors says, America, the one thing it still agrees on is its kids. And we started to see more and more this theme of, yeah, People want their kids to have a better opportunity than they do. We want our kids to have um, after school activities. We want our kids in school and uh, after school in art and music. They want their kids to have a better overall experience than, than they had. So in looking with that, a natural partnership and alliance was with the schools and with our local school districts. And that can be tricky and tough. And obviously the schools have to be careful with who they partner with. They have uh, an enormous job and task in front of them. Educating children is getting more difficult, not easier. Um, it's, not, it's not even the same as it was five years ago. Um, so for them, that was a, you know, having a nonprofit here where we just literally walked in the door and said, how can we help, what can we do? Through that, um, we we had had a program that we had been running called SOAR, which is the School of Artistic Refinement. And that was really birthed out of a uh, vision of John Carlos Velez and his wife, Gabby, and just truly an amazing couple that have a tremendous gift and talent when it comes to music and performance. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's not fair how good they are. <laughs> That is true. 
The total package, right? Looks, <laughs> no, voice, every I mean, just absolutely amazing they people. They make us not want to sing, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's like not even in the shower and you know, it's like they're so good. Um but the most humble people you will truly meet with all that gifting and talent and the ability to to perform and be on stage and still they want to give back. And John Carlos has an amazing story of, you know, had it not been for someone reaching out, you know, reaching down to him uh, when he was in middle school, junior high, and kind of introducing music and believing in him and saying, hey, you have this ability inside of you. Um, he doesn't think he would be where he's at today. And so that, I think, birthed the vision in him to say, I want to do the same thing um, for kids in the community. And so we went through a process of just saying, hey, will this work? Is this something that, um, you know, is wanted and needed? And the program, we've, we've been live with that program for about the last year and a half. And I mean, it's absolutely exploded. Um, the community has rallied around it. And now, uh, because of its successes and because the model of the program, we're actually in local elementary school after school uh, teaching music and drumline and, and choir to, you know, a bunch of third and fifth grade, third through fifth graders. Um, but it, it, re, it yields tremendous results in this program where these kids uh, actually get to see improvement. They get to see they have creative ability um, that, you know, music is just so universal. And when, when kids can say like, wow, I made something, I created something, um, and they have instructors that believe in them and want them to see their best. And in a time where, you know, it's tough being a kid, it's always been tough being a kid, especially when you're getting into those later elementary and middle school years to have somebody, you know, and these instructors, these, you know, musicians, professional musicians who look so cool, who are amazing talents to spend time and build those kids up and like, hey, I believe in you and you're awesome. Uh, I mean, it absolutely transforms these kids. So that's been a, a local partnership with the kids and the community as well. So SOAR has been kind of our big flagship program and we'll jump in at other places when schools request. We've done backpack drives and we've done um, food drives for the local Panther Food Shelf, which is our, our local school district's uh, program where, you know, they send home dozens and dozens of backpacks every weekend for elementary and, and preschool kids that go home to no food on the weekends, which is so humbling and just amazing and completely sad that it's, it is that way here in the Twin Cities that we have so many kids, even in the suburbs, that are dealing with, with this sort of thing. So for us, how can we help? Where can we help? And we try and step in. And, and right now, uh, our biggest partnerships and, and collaboration has been with local schools. So I, I that's backpack drive was uh, that was around Thanksgiving that you did that wasn't that? Well, the backpack drive was um, right before school. Right before school, um, we gave out over a hundred backpacks with school supplies to local kids, um, which well, was great. The food pantry was around. Thanksgiving. The food pantry was around Thanksgiving and. Uh, we ended up partnering uh, throughout the community, and this is really just such a great example of collaboration and virtue is we went to local apartment complexes where they have a lot of subsidized housing and went to other food shelves and went to uh, other organizations in the Twin Cities and said, do you know somebody that really could use a Thanksgiving box? Or maybe they need 
a Thanksgiving box where we could put a whole meal together for them, um, partnered with our local church, partnered with other businesses, and was able to deliver over 200 meals to people in need this Thanksgiving. So um, that was, again, something where collaboration came together, virtue came together, where you had faith organizations and businesses and and uh, other nonprofit organizations all coming together to rally around and help meet people's needs where they were. Well, uh, collaboration uh, is a, a word that kind of keeps coming up here. Uh, we should probably back up the train a little bit uh, to your story. Uh, you spent eight years uh, as a, a representative. Uh, this is uh, along with other stuff that you, you do, but uh, that is where you... <laughs> You became the Tim Sanders, <laughs> and That's I voted. Right. Hey, you're in my district, so I voted That's for right. you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Always appreciate it. That's right. It. Can't <laughs> do it without you. But uh, does that – this is a partly, partially a drastic transition, but some of it's very similar, I would think, because uh, collaboration, uh, you'd have to do that in the political world as well. Uh, looking back on that – time period and move, making the transition here is there th are there things that stand out of things that you brought from the political world that has been helpful here yeah absolutely um, I mean first of all when you spend eight years in the political arena um, especially you know I was so fortunate and blessed to be so young uh, during that time uh, I mean it absolutely You're still young right. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely transforms transforms you as a person um you know and makes i mean there's no way to not be different when you spend eight years in, in that arena in that in that world and i really again being young it developed me quite a bit i would say the number one thing in bringing to this position here is the language so being able to walk in to a faith-based organization a business a a school district, a governmental entity, um, and be able to use their language, right? To be able to use words in a way that they understand. So be able to talk to business people with, with a business acumen or other nonprofits, because you spend so much time in the political arena listening and dealing with every sort of person and individual and constituency. And, and so really understanding the need, and again, when I said earlier, taking that data-driven approach and wanting to ask people how we can help is everybody has a need. Every business has a need. I mean, that was the, the number one thing, you know, as a legislator, you start to learn early on is, man, nine out of 10 meetings or maybe 99 out of 100 meetings, people come in with their hand out and not always in just like this greedy, gimme, gimme sort of way, but people had real tangible needs. Uh, they were looking for relief or looking for reprieve or looking for just some sort of way that they can continue to do life and they can continue to do business or, or their work or their passion. Um, and so, I mean, that was the big thing was being able to understand, hey, how do I listen and understand where your need is and what that, you know, what solution are you looking for? And then being able to speak in a common language. Um, to them. So I'd say those are probably the two biggest things that I was able to take from that and transition now into kind of nonprofit work and, and you know, so meeting, meeting people's needs was so, uh, very uh, helpful. Because anyone can use 
understanding people's needs. I mean, that that applies whether you uh, you have a coworker that's hard to get along with or uh, understanding your kids' needs. <laughs> uh, any advice to uh, the listener on how to hear so that you're uh, getting what they're actually, you know, and how you can help with that? Any, does that uh, kind of – because if you're listening to all these needs, you have to be able to give them something, I suppose, or at least lead them somewhere or something. So is there some advice on how to get something out that you're able to do something with? Yeah, I think that's really good. Number one is truly seeking understanding. So I don't need to agree with you to understand what you truly need, want, and feel. I, don't, I, can, I can do that without even agreeing with you. And then oftentimes I would just after, you know, because sometimes it would be very emotional, you know, with requests that people were coming for, you know, sometimes it would be very passionate. And I would just, okay, so I just got done listening to you talk for the last 10 minutes. Is this what I heard you say? Is this where you, is this what you're looking for? Is this the pain point? And is this the solution you're looking for? And then I think the big thing is, is don't ever overpromise, um, And don't, don't ever give people fluff. So, I mean, especially I think in, in those, in the political arena, especially your desire to want to ease people's pain and be liked is, is very real. You want, you want to save everybody. You want to help everybody. You want to be liked. You want to keep your job. You, you want to, <laughs> you want to get voted in again. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you, you feel like you have a mission and you can't do it if you're not there. Right. So you're you're trying to to keep your job at the same time. You have to be real with people. Um, a lot of times in the political world, it was very, I would say, easy to very simply give them the political realities of how the process and the system works. And that it's rare for a bill to get introduced and in the same session become law. It is. It's rare. Um, you know, most things that become law are talked about for years our work through the process for years it's very difficult um you know trying not to give somebody fluff and false hope i think was super powerful lesson for me to learn and not from any thing that i necessarily remember ever doing wrong but just watching people and saying you know what when i quickly arrive at a decision so when i don't seem like i'm waffling or wavering in what to do because then people see an opportunity to just hammer you. <laughs> but but truly seeking understanding, understanding where they're coming from, understanding what they're wanting, and then being real with them about what you can do to help. Um, and sometimes it's nothing, and you have to be okay with that. Sometimes it's like, hey, I don't personally have the answer for this, but I can help connect you to someone that might. Um, and I think that those are things, regardless of where you're at, don't give people false hope. Don't overpromise what you can do for them. Um, and I think a lot of times people want to be heard. They want to be understood. And sometimes I think in just the real world, you being willing to walk through something with them is more powerful than anything else you could give them. So I, I would start there. Um, I think those are pretty universal uh, and what you, what oh, you can apply and do. Oh, that, I was, I was thinking through my two scenarios I gave you, and, I, and that, 
that, that works with even with your kids. <laughs> if you, it does. Sometimes you know, like this is what I can give you. <laughs> this is all I can give you. I can't give you what you want, but I can give you what I can. Right. I hear you, and that's mm-hmm. about, or that coworker that, that drives you nuts. That's probably true too. You, yeah, you can't you can't help them. Uh, yeah. right. When you're talking, you you mentioned uh, people in politics. You know, you, you're going for a goal. I, I guess I never have asked you, uh, how did you get into the political world in the first place? Was, was there a drawing there, or was – I know you went to school for it, but – Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. I would say when I was a late teenager um, – I mean, I grew up – let's back up. I grew up in a military family, um, very good family, awesome parents, two younger brothers – Grew up in a military family, just always had a lot of national pride and um, really from an early age understood kind of the uniqueness and blessing that we had of living in the United States. And um, probably, I mean, I don't know a better word to just say other than I was probably, you know, a middle years teenager really just had a burden for the country. for being involved in the government and somehow I didn't know what that looked like um, for a lot of years I wanted to join the Air Force which is where most of my family served um, not exclusively but that was kind of that was where my dad served I grew up on an Air Force base and um, really wanted to pursue that um, but just had a big burden for the for the country and being involved. I don't think I ever, during those years, ever thought that like I could be the front guy. I just didn't have that much confidence, I don't think, at the time. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to be involved. A uh, year or so after high school, I'm like, man, life's very good, very comfortable. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> I'm never gonna do anything with my life. Um, so weird financial reciprocity rules. I lived in uh, Wisconsin at the time, was able to actually come to the University of Minnesota cheaper than if I went to Madison or if I was a in-state Minnesota student. Uh, And the University of Minnesota had an excellent political science program uh, at the time, still do. Um, And so kind of took the plunge and came out here. Loved studying political science. It was very challenging, Um, just from my own political ideology, the U is very different in how most classes um, were taught and prepared. And honestly, some of my best classes were just very challenging. I have no idea to this day, politically, I could not tell you with certainty what, where on the spectrum, the political spectrum my professors or, or TAs fell. They just challenged everybody. Uh, and it was it was really good. Just try to take everyone off. <laughs> absolutely, but but I mean it was very 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 positive. Um, I ended up again just kind of like man I don't know what to do and and again a liberal arts degree especially political science man it's you know you start to realize like probably around your junior year like it's tough to look in the classified section and find <laughs> jobs where they're looking for poli sci majors. Um, but actually, in the most random way, my brother came home from school one day, plopped this packet down in front of me, and he's like, I think you should be, I think you should apply for this internship program. And I was like, it's due in a week. <laughs> uh, and it was, I mean, like, this was thick packet of stuff, like 30 pages. You had to have 
letters of references. You had to submit writing samples. You had to do, I mean, it was, it was kind of an intense process. And then you had to go through a interview process. Now, at the time, it was for two members of Congress, and you did a joint interview, and then they would kind of fight over who they wanted. And so just politically... I was very confident in who I was um, politically and where my beliefs stood. Um, and th again, there were two members, one Republican member, one Democrat member, both very well respected. Um, but I went in for the interview and one of them said, sorry, I don't have your resume and I don't have your application. Um, I don't, it must have gotten lost. Do you have another one? I said, no man, with all due respect, I could not give your office my best. And so I didn't apply for your office. I'm only applying for this other member's office. And she looked at me just kind of like, you're an idiot, you know? And, and I kind of, I'm like, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Um, but it was crazy because again, that cut my chances down in half. Um, but it went really well. And I ended up getting offered a position. In fact, was offered could have my choice DC or, or the district office here in, in the Twin Cities. And so a whole bunch of ways I ended up choosing the district office here, um, which went against my better emotions at the time of like, when you're, man, DC's everything, right? That's the power, that's the game, that's where it's all at. Um, but it ended up being amazing because I ended up, this member spent a lot of time investing at the local level. And I just, again, I was like, man, that really does jive with my beliefs, I mean, the government closest to the people is the most responsive and should be the best form of representation. So started getting involved at the local level, again, never intending to be the guy or run for office. Uh, and I always thought, like, man, this would be way later in life. But, you know, um, probably I, I was in the middle of 2007, the local kind of political body came called me and they said hey you show up at meetings you can kind of put a <laughs> sentence together rumor is the current incumbents not running again doesn't really like the gig would you consider running and I was like yes absolutely again just kind of like of course you know I have no idea what I'm you know just said yes to but let's go um, and the rest is kind of history and it was very challenging. I mean, I, I ended up having to win an endorsement battle. Um, 2008 was not a great year for my party. In fact, I'm pretty sure that year is the record low for my party. As far as members they sent to the house, so there's 134 representatives in the Minnesota house. We only had 47. I was one of 47. If I knew everything at the end of my career you know or at the end of that period of my career that I did going into it there's no way I would have ever run because you you know I ended up becoming part of the the team that recruited candidates and we raised money and like our job was to win the majority in the Minnesota house and you learn to read where you have opportunities and where you have zero opportunity and what can move the dial and what doesn't move the dial and I should have never won my first seat <laughs> uh it was crazy but but yeah, I mean, one in 2008 was elected successfully, three consecutive elections after that. And uh, it was amazing. It was awesome. <laughs> Loved it. Uh, so 
Uh, when you think about uh, going back to your word collaboration, uh, I'm guessing political world is all about collaboration. Uh, <laughs> this world is all about collaboration. Uh, so I'm guessing that's a, and even talking to you over the years, that seems to be your one of your heartbeats is to bring diverse people to the table and get them to work together. Uh, any advice for people who, again, uh, collaboration, yeah, it's obvious when, you know, two aisles of the park cross. Right. Yeah, that, right. That's an obvious uh, uh, yeah. not working, you know, well or whatever. Uh, or in a community setting, that seems a little more obvious. Uh, but collaboration is something, again, you have to do if you're, you've got coworkers who, uh, you know, got a project you're working on or collaboration, I got to work collaborate with my wife you know <laughs> that's, right, that's right. part of the deal uh, any ad, not marital advice for me but any <laughs> any, any uh, advice for people who want to collaborate and how to make it uh, effective absolutely uh I, I think there's there's two things um the first one that i would say is figure out what you agree on Right, which is kind of why we chose virtue. Um, figure out what similarities you have, what brings you to the table together that you agree on. Um, I had an excellent, you know, actually one of the things that Governor Ventura did, um, and there's not a long list, so it's one <laughs> one of the things that he did very well was he made election policy something that had to be bipartisan. In fact, overwhelmingly bipartisan. Now, election law is the rules of the game, right? So it is very complicated. Um, everybody wants to win. It is a zero-sum game, absolute power, right? <laughs> everybody wants to win. But that started an excellent, excellent precedent in that, listen, because these are the rules of the game, we need overwhelming bipartisanship. So when I got to sit down and work with then um, – the, the lead on the committee, which was Representative Steve Simon, who is now the Secretary of State in Minnesota. That's exactly what we did. As we sat down with a sheet of paper, I had a list of 30 things that, hey, this is what I want to see. He had a list of like 30 things. And we literally sat there and went through the list, circled the items that we both had, or things <laughs> of like, hey, this, yep, we agree, we agree, we agree. Uh, he would say, yeah, Tim, that's never going to happen. And I would cross it off the list. <laughs> And I would say, Steve, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and he would cross it off the list. And it was actually probably the most productive work and most productive committee work I've done in my eight years there uh, or the, the two sessions or actually I think four sessions where we were able to work together that fashion. Um, overwhelmingly bipartisan um, legislation, sweeping reforms in a lot of ways. Uh, again, the way you vote, all of that, all of those things go through that community. It was absolutely transformative. But we started with where we agreed, right? And think of it kind of like a rubber band. You start with a rubber band and then you start stretching it to that point where both sides are like, all right, I feel the tension. And then you just both decide, like, are we willing to go any farther? Are we willing to pull this thing any farther or not, right? Because A, one side will lose a grip. And what happens when that does? You get snapped. You get burnt. Right. So you got to stay within that that right amount of tension that you both agree on. So starting where you agree 
continuing to work your way back from there uh, were, were things that made things extremely productive for me in the legislature. And I think that works universally with whatever you're doing, with whoever you're trying to collaborate with. What can you agree on and how far can you continue to add things or, or stretch the rubber band before you need to stop? And then you both sides or that group needs to decide this is what we're going to do and we're going to go through that. The next thing is don't take things personal. And we get so offended so easily. Take things so personally. (laughs) You're not talking about politics. I'm talking about everything (laughs) in every way. Don't take things personally. And there there are seasons, right? There are times where, hey, collaboration makes a ton of sense for us right now. Maybe we're not going to collaborate on the next project or two. Maybe we're not going to collaborate on the next two political bills. But eventually, we're going to need to come back to the table. So don't take things personally and don't go out of your way to to offend people either. But if you can learn to start to work on things where you both agree and see how far you can get down that road and then you don't take things personal and you treat people the way they want to be treated and you treat people with dignity, honor, and respect, then that door is open when you need to come back to collaborate. And it's okay at times if you aren't working with someone or aren't working with a group because there are seasons and ebbs and flows and things. And you're going to have different missional views and alliances and priorities. And we have to be okay saying no. We have to be okay not taking it personally. Uh, And we have to be able to, to work with people in a way that leaves the relationship in a way that we can come back to it and collaborate again in the future. I think that's, <coughs> I love that rubber band uh, analogy there. That, that, uh, is there, uh, with that analogy, is there something that uh, you've known, maybe it's just an intuitive sense, I don't know, that uh, we're getting to the edge of, <laughs> it's about to snap here. Is there, a, uh, can you tell, I mean, are you looking at the other person trying to figure out are they getting near the edge or is it mostly an internal feel? This is, uh, I'm getting near where I, my party or my group is going to not. Yeah. In politics, it's, it's playing multiple chess games at the same time. <laughs> and they're all related. Because I can have a great relationship with you and we can be talking through things. But then again, it's not just you and I deciding on what's going to happen with this. I eventually, if you take like the Minnesota House or I need 68 votes or we need 68 votes to get this bipartisan legislation done. So what will happen is typically you have to go back and present that. And can I build a coalition and can I collaborate with people? And then you got to come back and be like, hey, this is barely hanging on by a thread. Or we got to add a few things in here to sweeten this up or we got to take a couple things off. Right. I mean. So there it's very complicated because it's not just two people that are ever making a decision, but can you collaborate and build enough will to get through, you know, to get your votes to pass, to get through the the lower body, the Senate, and then you need the executive branch to sign it. So it's a very, very complicated process where you're constantly measuring. And that's where open communication, again, don't take things personally, don't overpromise, Right. And and communicate openly with people, Um, you know, at times in collaboration, multi multi multifaceted collaboration where you're dealing with different 
entities in the faith community, you're dealing with government, which again has that multi chessboard facet to it. You're dealing with, um, you know, other businesses and, and other nonprofits. It's the same sort of thing because eventually we all sit down as three or four or six or eight people, 10 people. And we're talking about, Hey, this is what we want to do. And this is how we want to do it. And you go back and find out that the organization isn't quite as happy as you guys all were because they weren't a part of that real original conversation or, you know, maybe they ate the wrong thing for dinner the (laughs) night before. Um, But open communication, you have to be able to say, Hey, slow down. This is where, this is where (laughs) things are at and everyone has to adjust it. And again, not take things personally. Uh, you have to know when it's time to fight, when, you know, draw the line in the sand. You got to know those things because those times come and that's a part of the real world. But at the same time, don't take things personally and over communicate in the most, you know, positive intentioned way. Um, and, and more times than not, you'll be successful. Uh, my, the analogy I was thinking in going back to the you, so you're planning a vacation with your spouse you you may have a place that you have to draw the line I don't want to go to that place mm-hmm. but you, the relationship's more important in the long run so balancing that out that's probably that's <laughs> right that's right um, let, let's do one other question about this and then maybe we'll have a time for a sure. couple of the more uh, discipleship uh, uh, practical type uh, questions and then we got to get to lunch because that's important too. That is very important <laughs> to both of us. <laughs> um, so someone's listening to this. They uh, hear you talking about uh, being serving in the political world. I see you uh, serving needs in the uh, community, and maybe they're in a small town church, uh, yeah. and they're like, "I want to do something," you know, and I'm not going to start inspire possible right. 2.0 right. you know because that's that's not where we're at uh, yeah. but i want to do something uh, yeah. any advice on kind of some first steps to take uh, in their community or in their own life that they could do something yeah the first thing i would do is build your team so maybe you want to do something and maybe you maybe you are a part of the church leadership team maybe you're not either way you need to build a team first of people that agree with your, with your mission, right, of wanting to impact the community. Um, the reason why is because the next thing you should do is ask how you can help. So whether it be in going to the city, again, every community is different, right? So whether it be going to the city, to the school districts, uh, to maybe another nonprofit that's that's doing good work in your community, you just want to jump in and supplement or help, you need to be able to ask, what can I do to help? What can we do to help? Now, it's a dangerous question because most likely they will give you an answer. <laughs> At which point you need you need to openly communicate, yes, we can do that, or hey, that's a little bit beyond our means right now. Uh, this is the bite that we can chew. Uh, again, never over-promising what you can do. But they're going to give you an answer, and you need to do what you say that you can do Um, because you really don't get too many names or chances at a reputation. And if you're the ones that talk a big game and you have a hard time following through, well, you're not going to be invited to the table very often, and you're not going to be given influential opportunities to make a positive impact in your community. So I say build a team of people, you know, a couple of you even, um, that can help you do the work 
it's a lot of work and it's tireless and tiring and it it's not easy uh you're dealing with needs and hurt and pain and you're trying to bring solutions and oftentimes it's very temporary and those needs don't go away um so build a small team ask what you can do to be helpful again because you want to meet needs that need to be met you may say hey i have this great idea well if it's not truly at the top of the list of the entity that you're helping they're kind of like hey great thanks <laughs> i really needed this but thanks for trying right so you made a difference but you didn't make the most positive impact that you could have you didn't make the most influential impact that you could have so we will spend our time building teams and asking people how we can help. Uh, switching gears uh, to what habit in the last five years, if you look at new habits you've developed uh, beyond meeting with me, that uh, has been most helpful to you? So I think the when you look at the biggest striking moments or things that have changed kind of the the direction or pivot of my life it's been seeking out mentors people that are ahead of me in the game of life um that has been the single biggest thing that has actually moved me i would say was was mentors people that i respect professionally people that i respect respect spiritually um and are again above me where where I want to be in life where you know just kind of all of that there that has been probably the most transformative thing that I, that I've gone through and it really probably has been in about the last five years where I've really started to pursue mentors and ask them blatantly will you be a mentor will you know will you invest in me um, and those aren't easy things to do and it's a humbling thing to do but the same time, if you have that drive and you want to be better and you want to be successful and, and do the things that you feel the Lord has called you to do, um, I think you need that. And I think it's very biblical, too. Um, I think Paul just was an awesome mentor, um, and I think we need that spiritually in our lives. Um, so that was a big thing. The other thing was reading and starting to read more and more. Um, again, leadership and spiritual and just, you know, other, other topics again, that really kind of push me in the direction that I want to go. So really mentors and reading have been, been probably kind of the two biggest things that I've incorporated over the last five years where I wasn't doing it as much in the past. Um, and again, too, when you're, you know, I've, always enjoyed the idea of reading, but, <laughs> but not the, not the amount of time that it takes to read. Um, and I think too, when, you know, when I was early, you know, it's like I went through college and you read so much and I'm like, I don't want to read ever again. Uh, at least with my major, so poli sci and history, I mean, we read and we wrote and that was it read and write, um, which was great. Uh, it actually has served me extremely well, but then getting into the legislature, I mean, man, you read hundreds of pages a day of bills and law and legalese and summaries. And, you know, again, you're just kind of like, 
I can't hardly keep up with that. The last thing I want to do is unwind reading. <laughs> um, but more and more, you know, you just realize you got to take your development seriously. Uh, and so that was mentors and, and reading have been pretty significant the last few years for me and moving me. Uh, so with mentors, have you, uh, you said you kind of said, uh, will you mentor me? Will you pour in? Uh, was it kind of a strategic, uh, these are the areas I'm looking to improve on, or these are uh, people that I'm drawn towards? What was the criteria to who you reached out to? Yeah, both. Someone that I was drawn to, for sure. I don't want to spend time with people I was interested in spending <laughs> right. time with. But at the same time, not necessarily 100% vocationally, but I could tell they were where I wanted to be in 5 to 10, 15 years. Um, and again, not always vocationally, but influence, um, you know, their, their families were ahead of mine in age and development and, you know, professionally they had risen through the ranks and, you know, were, um, you know, influential positions. So yeah, a combination of both. Uh, well, since you said reading, we should ask the, the question. So the, uh, what is there, uh, a couple books that come to mind that uh, in the last you, you can pick the time frame i guess what uh, that uh, uh, had a big impact on you yeah i mean probably the most influential book was emotionality leader by peter scazzaro uh super transformative for me uh really was starting to read that through once i once i was very confident that i was going to retire at the very young age of 34 from <laughs> politics. Um, it was a very difficult transition of how do you go, like I grew, kind of grew up in adulthood in this arena with these titles, with this influence, and now how do I transition into kind of being anonymous in some levels, but how do I be this influential person to have the impact that I want to have or that I feel like I should have? Um, so that was a very, very positive, transformative book for me. Um, and I recommend that a ton. Uh, the other two that really changed, really changed me was the book Multipliers by Liz Weissman. And then another book that goes with it really well, very synergistically on the spiritual side is Hero Makers. And it's really about you know, it was kind of a freeing thing, which is as a leader, you're always like, am I having the influence and the impact that I feel like I'm supposed to have? But that transition of understanding, okay, true influence and true leadership is done through multiplying your efforts and multiplying, um, you know, your impact through other people and raising up and equipping and releasing other people um, to be the heroes to to run with the task to run with the influence um and that's kind of the true the true essence of what you're supposed to be as a leader are you truly raising up other people are you multiplying your efforts in in the organization's efforts through them and are they getting the reward and and the consequences of of running through things and you know are they are you equipping people and releasing them out to, to continue to do their work and understanding um, 
that whole dynamic. So those have been probably two very influential books that, you know, I've read super recently that um, I think kind of shift the paradigm on leadership for me. Well, as we're wrapping up here, uh, <coughs> I always like to give you, uh, if you have any ask uh, of the audience, uh, and that can be anything uh, at all other than cheering for the Cubs. No, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and we also encourage them to go. It's inspirepot, inspirepossible.org. Inspire uh, but uh, any final ask or encouragement you'd give before we uh, wrap up and have some lunch? Yeah, no, I, I think that's it. Check out our website, inspirepossible.org. Um, if you feel led to to give or to send, you know, thoughts, ideas, we'd, we'd love to make an impact and collaborate with anyone. Um, so, I mean, I think that's about it. Cheer us on and find out how you can get involved. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the show, Tim. It was awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. They're already looking for one way that you can make a difference by working with others because that's really what it's all about. If you'd like to see the show notes like the books that Tim recommended, head on over to the show website at christconnection.cc slash podcast. Again, that's christconnection.cc slash podcast. And while you're there, check out the other resources that we have to help you in your walk with Jesus because that's what it's all about. That's why we're doing this. And before you head off today, would you take a moment to raise review or subscribe to the podcast it helps others learn about the show i don't know all the right algorithm with that but that's what it does so uh, rate review and subscribe would really be appreciated in advance i say thank you uh so until next time thanks for listening